Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. That's kind of been the driving force is to try and make the best record we've ever made and to try and play the best show we've ever played. The music world is reeling from the death of Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. Born in Texas and raised in Southern California, Hawkins first got widespread attention as the standout drummer for Alanis Morissette's live band. After Jagged Little Pill. Taylor, I missed you a lot. There was a period of time when I was too mad to even bring up your name. And it killed me to hear Discount the time we spent together. When Dave Grohl made the call, he only wanted an opinion. What he got was the band's drummer for the next 25 years. Through eight albums, he powered the Foo Fighters' groove, humor, and grace. Band's only as good as his drummer. Greatest drummer of all time. Taylor Hawkins, of course. <laughs> Earning 11 Grammy Awards and introduction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I want to thank my beautiful wife, Allison, my beautiful children, Shane Hawkins, Annabelle Hawkins, Everly Hawkins. I love you guys so much. The Cooper and Anthony Show remembers Taylor Hawkins. There's a lot of information flying around out there about the death of Foo Fighters drummer Taylor Hawkins. I'm sure you've heard about it by now, which is why you're listening to us. So... We thought we should sort it all out for you, tell you the entire story, give you all the information that we have up until now. Um, I'm sure there'll be more information coming out as the toxicology report comes out and the autopsy report comes out and other information that I'm sure will be revealed in the next few days. But there's a lot out there. We will explain to you everything that happened and what we know so far. I just wonder how we got the information so fast. Sometimes it takes weeks and weeks and weeks when a celebrity dies to find anything out. Was it because he was in another country that we have yeah. some news? Okay. Yeah, that's exactly why. It's because it's because he's there they're in South America. And what's really interesting, if you watch a lot of these documentaries about the Colombian government, what goes on in Bogota, the police and investigators actually have a really good relationship or good good in the sense that we get information. Mm -hmm. um, they have a good relationship with the press there and everybody has an in somewhere. So it, it already got leaked. Um, the police there, the investigators there put out their own statement. So they, they have a little bit more transparency there than we do here when it comes to things like this. And um, I think they didn't wait for the family to decide what can and can't be released, which is really interesting. So their laws are different. Their relationships are different in terms of um, how the police and the media communicate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it so was I think really that has, quick. So just to take it back a couple of steps, because first you heard Taylor Hawkins, 50 years old, dead, and then all this flood of information kept coming at you, mm -hmm. at all of us. So what happened was the band had performed in Argentina at the Argentinian Lollapalooza on Sunday. And we're going to play you some stuff from that night because what was very interesting is that Dave Grohl stopped to kind of honor Taylor Hawkins 
which I don't know if he does that on a regular he does basis. It every he does intru- No, well, he introduces everybody, but he what they do is they switch. So Taylor Hawkins comes out and sings, and Dave Grohl goes and sits at the drums, mm-hmm. and he drums for a song. That's how they they do it. They go back and forth, but um, he hugged him like they had a nice last moment together, and it was all caught on video and caught. Well, let's just play that for you real quick right now. There's one more person you can't forget. Ladies and gentlemen. You know, the best thing about Taylor Hawkins, he's the best fucking drummer in the world. We love him so much. But here's the thing. You, you haven't seen his pants yet. You want to see Taylor Hawkins' pants? Do you want to see his pants? Ooh, he's on the big screen. And I mean big. Taylor, this. Taylor Hawkins, come down and sing a song you can see his pants. Come on, Taylor, come sing a song. Because that motherfucker can sing. And those pants make it sound better. Hi, Dave. Come here. I fucking love Dave Grohl, man. I'd be delivering pizzas if it wasn't for fucking Dave Grohl. I'd be managing the drum department at a guitar center if it wasn't for Dave Grohl. So the Foos are in South America on tour, and as they're getting ready to play Bogota Friday night, Taylor starts to have chest pains. Mm -hmm. That's how the whole thing started. He starts to have chest pains. Now, CBS News says that the local health officials at Bogota's 911, they'd received a report of a patient with chest pain at this local hotel, which I think the hotel is one of the Four Seasons hotels that's in this little town outside Bogota. So uh, somebody somebody staying at the hotel, this is all they know, somebody staying at the hotel is having chest pains. They send the EMS. The EMS responds to the scene. They perform all the resuscitation maneuvers, CPR, the clear thing, you know, mm-hmm. that thing, what, that whole thing. They do everything they possibly can, but they were unable to revive him, and he died right there in the hotel room. So that was Friday. So somebody didn't. So somebody didn't find him. So he didn't show up for the gig, and then they say, "Where's Taylor?" There were people actually with him. Somebody? No, he was having chest pains. So I wonder, did he call nine one one and nobody else? Somebody had to call nine one one. Right. So it sounds like he did. Mm-hmm. It sounds like he wasn't feeling great and he called 911, but there could have been somebody with him, an assistant, somebody. That had to be somebody with him because if you think about it, I'll tell you what was in the room in a second, and then you'll see that um, he probably had people there with him, but maybe not. Um, he was getting ready to perform. Like this was mm-hmm. right before their show in Bogota. So it was just, you know, hours, hours earlier. So there was probably somebody with him, at least one person. 
Got it. If it wasn't him, if it wasn't him alone that called nine one one. So he dies in the hotel room. They do a urine test and they do a tox screen. Now I don't think the tox screen is going to come back immediately. I don't, there's nowhere in the world that a tox screen comes back immediately. That that takes a little bit of time. But the urine test is quick, and that's the results that we have so far. So this is based on the urine test. There are ten different substances that were found in his system: mm-hmm. um, marijuana, opioids, something called. Tristilic antidepressants, which are like regular antidepressants, like but Prozac. these have like, uh, no, it's not Prozac. These, these have less side effects. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is different than Prozac. And then uh, benzodiazepines, which is for anxiety disorder. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that's found in his system that shouldn't be there are the opioids and, you know, marijuana. Like, who cares? Everybody smokes a little marijuana. It's not illegal it's anymore. South America. You have to. It's a law. You're from California so, in South America. You have to smoke pot. Right. And there's also, there's no telling how long something stays in your system. So did he take the antidepressants and the anxiety medication that morning? He smoked a little marijuana a couple of days earlier. And then, you know, opioids, they don't say how much or which opioids. Maybe from playing, he has a shoulder thing and he took like, you know, a little bite of a Vicodin. Mm-hmm. You know, we, don't, we don't know for a fact that he OD'd on anything. That's that's not what they're saying so far. Okay. What else is really interesting, they're talking about what they found in the room. We're getting a lot of information out of the officials in Bogota and, and in Colombia. This is an unconfirmed report, but for now, they say that they found hallucinogens in the room, like, they don't say which ones, like LSD, mushrooms, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So there were hallucinogens found in the room, and also a, quote, powder-like substance. But that doesn't mean, it could be, you know, maybe he was, pixie sticks. You know what I mean? Like, who knows? It, it's it's not, yes, it could have been heroin. Yes, it could have been cocaine. But so far, that's not what was found in his system, at least according to the urine test. Now, maybe a further test will determine exactly what he died of. It, it will. We'll find out for sure. Mm-hmm. But But also in the room around him was open beer and an open bottle of vodka. And what's the news about his heart? Okay, so that's that's the other thing. So the Daily Mail is reporting that the autopsy, which they already have an in on on the autopsy, the full autopsy report is not out yet for mm-hmm. the media, but his heart weighed at least 600 grams, which is twice the average size. So just let's do a tiny little deep dive into that. It's not clear if the larger heart is normal for him I don't know if you know, but Lance Armstrong has a heart three times the size of the rest of us. Mm-hmm. It's just how he is as an athlete. You know what I mean? Like, it's just he has a bigger heart, which is able to pump more oxygen. And when you work out, when you run, they test something called your VO2 max, which is how you use oxygen while you're working out or while you're playing the drums or, or riding a bike or whatever. For the most of us, normal is like, I don't know, 25 to 30 uh, whatever they are, like whatever the measurement is, but mm-hmm. 25 to 30 for somebody in their 40s, 50s, you know, the same age as as Taylor Hawkins or Lance Armstrong. T- Lance Armstrong's VO2 max is 83. It's off the charts. It's like the highest in the world because he's got a very, very big heart for all the work that he does, all the, all the biking he does. So the question is, does Taylor Hawkins have a double-sized heart because... He's a drummer, it's cardiovascular, 
And he's the kind of person that was born with a heart like that. So that's why he's able to be a drummer who can drum the fuck out of the for drums at three 50, hours at, at that three hours yeah. every night at 50 years old. Or is the enlarged heart because he has an untreated heart disease situation and all this drug stuff that we're hearing about is a, a shaggy dog and there, it's the, it, he didn't die of drugs. He has an enlarged heart that went unchecked mm-hmm. and all that drumming basically caused a heart attack. So the, did the drugs cause the, the massive heart attack or did he have untreated heart disease that caused this heart attack? So we're not really sure. And, and if you don't know, he has had problems with drugs in the past. In 2001, he OD'd on heroin. Mm-hmm. And was, he was in 20, a coma. Yeah, and was in a coma. But he was 29 at the time and came out of the coma. And as far as we knew, he's been clean since. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to find interviews talking about drug use, and there's really none out there. The only thing I knew was he was in a coma from heroin. But that was a long time ago. He did an interview with one of the BBC channels, like BBC One or something like that, where he did talk about what the experience was like. Yeah, the movie came out four weeks ago. So he's been doing all this press for the movie. Uh, Explain what the movie is in case people don't know. They have a new movie, and it's still in theaters. It's called Studio 666, and it's a Foo Fighters movie. They put their own money into it. Mm-hmm. which is quite funny. They finished their album. They had like two weeks left in this house. And they said, wouldn't it be funny just to shoot a horror movie where Dave Grohl kills everybody in the band? Right. So there's a scene where Dave kills Taylor. And here's Taylor talking about how they wanted to kill him. They had a yes. very elaborate way of, of, of killing me, which involved barbed wire around my hands and arms and cutting my arms off and, prosthetic arms, all this stuff. And I frankly just sounded like too long of a day. I just said, fuck that. Just grab a cymbal off the drum set, throw it, I'll stand up against the wall, sling it at my head and cut my head in half. And that's what they did. And the best thing in the the scene in that movie, I saw just that one scene because it's out there now after Taylor died. Mm. But it's actually quite a funny scene where they, Dave Grohl takes the cymbal, chucks it at him, it decapitates him and it holds his head up on the wall as his body slowly slumps down. I just, I feel really bad. I feel bad for, for, for Taylor's wife and kids. I feel yeah. really bad for Dave. I mean, they were best friends for 25 years. Yeah, he's been with the Foo Fighters for 25 years. And he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame with them last year. So here's how they met. So Dave Grohl has the Foo Fighters, Mm -hmm. and Taylor Hawkins is drumming for Alanis Morissette. Yes. And they ended up in all these festival tours, and they'd see each other backstage. And, you know, when there's a festival tour, there's a lot of time to sit around because you got to wait for your people to set up, and they bring your drum set out and take the last guy's drum set away. And it's, you know, it's a lot. You and I have done a lot of those festival Mm -hmm. types of things, being in radio, where you do, an artist comes out, and they do like two or three songs, and then they, they leave. And it's rare that they use the same set of drums, same microphone. It's all new equipment. So they have a lot of time to hang out <laughs> backstage. <laughs> so they meet backstage during one of these festivals. And it was like love at first sight. It was, it was, they were best friends at first sight, which is what they've both said over the years. And it was so obvious how close they were. And they kept running into each other at festivals over and over that Alanis Morissette had actually at one point asked herself, said to Taylor, 
what are you going to do when Dave asks you to be his drummer? Mm-hmm. Like she knew, like they were so close that they had such great chemistry. It was so obvious to everyone around them that Alanis Morissette was like, I'm about to lose the greatest drummer on the planet <laughs> to Dave Grohl. To the greatest drummer on the planet. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so as you can imagine, a lot of his fans and not just his regular fans, but his famous fans have been posting on social media. I mean, the eulogies are pouring in like crazy. And there's a couple of interesting ones that I wanted to to point to because I, there's certain things that, there's things that are coming out that we didn't realize about Taylor Hawkins and how close he was with some of the best drummers on the planet and people that we know who as drummers. Mm-hmm. Um, Travis Barker, the drummer for Blink-182 and the guy who's about to marry Kourtney Kardashian. I didn't realize that he was so close with Taylor Hawkins. But apparently they were very close. He tells his 6.6 million followers on Instagram. Here's what he said. He posts a picture of Taylor that only he had. You know, everyone's like grabbing pictures off of Google. Mm. This is a picture that he had of Taylor backstage. I don't have the words. Sad to write this or to never see you again. I'll never forget Laguna Beach days when I was a trash man playing in a punk band and you were playing with Alanis. You'd come watch me play in dive bars and be like, kid, you're a star. And I thought you were crazy, but you gave me so much hope and determination. Years later, we toured together with Blink and Foos in Australia, and I have the best memories of smoking cigarettes in the restroom of flights we were on together and watching your set every night. To say I'll miss you, my friend, isn't enough. Till the next time we drum and smoke in the boys' room, rest in peace. Wow. Ozzy Osbourne said, Taylor Hawkins was truly a great person, an amazing musician. My heart, my love, my condolence go out to his wife, his children, his family, his band, his fans. See you on the other side, Ozzy. Here's a quick story about Dave and Taylor going on a road trip. So ages ago, in 1998, there was an Ozfest in England, that Mm -hmm. Milton Keynes Bowl. Corn were supposed to play on it, and Corn canceled, right? But it was like... Ozzy and Slayer and Anthrax and Pantera and like all these crazy the heavy bands. So corn back out. They can't do the gig. So we get Sabbath. the call. Sabbath. It wasn't Ozzy, it was Sabbath. Sabbath. So we get the call. Hey, will you guys fill in for corn? We're like, oh my God, <laughs> what, you're crazy. Like, we're not a metal band. We'll get killed. Like, there's no way. So, but, so we decided to do it. Yeah. So we get down there. We're totally terrified. We walk. We get to the gig. Pantera's playing, and they are the most shredding metal band you've ever seen. There's sixty thousand people going fucking bananas, and we got to go on after them. Yeah, and I'm just like, oh my god, this is nuts. So we go on, and I'm really nervous. And I look around the side of the stage, and as we're playing, I see all those guys from those bands watching us and singing the lyrics to our oh, songs. Oh yeah! And I'm like, this is amazing. So afterwards, we make friends with Pantera. Cool. Yeah, thanks guys. So we make friends with Pantera. And, you know, they're just all about whiskey and yeah. boobs and whatever. It's like, yeah. So they so they give us their card. They have their own strip club. It's called the Clubhouse. It's yeah. outside of Dallas, Texas. Of course they have their own of strip course. club. Of course. I mean, yeah. it's just Who what you do. So yeah. we're like, he's like, man, and they're from Texas. So like, yeah. anytime you all are in Texas, man, you got to come down to the Clubhouse. It's great. And we're like, all right. So we finish the tour. And then I was living in Los Angeles at the time. Um, and I was moving back to Virginia where I'm from. So I put all of my stuff in my house on a truck and Taylor and I jumped in my truck and did this dumb and dumber drive across America, right? <laughs> so we were so excited. And, but we were, we're really doing it here. Yeah, this is 1998. We were basically like, 
we were routing our trip around like where our friends live and where the strip clubs are. I, oh I've got the mental picture. I saw my picture. grandma. Yeah, <laughs> it was a real family trip. Oh, and yeah. so the first day, we're like, whoa, we're doing it, man. We're really doing it. We'd stop in like Barstow. It's like five hours outside of LA to get gas. We get gas and we make it to Phoenix that night. We go to check into the hotel and I had left my wallet on top of this gas <laughs> tank in Barstow. I'm like, oh no, and I don't have credit cards or ID or anything like that. So I call my account and I'm like, Ben, just send me a credit card. Like, I, I, I got nothing. So he FedExes one out, we keep driving. And I'm calling the Pantera guys. I'm like, all right, man, we're coming to the clubhouse. We're going to be there like Tuesday night, Tuesday night. And they're like, hell yeah, it's going to be great. So we make this 800-mile detour to get to the clubhouse, to the to the strip club. We go out to dinner with Taylor's family. And we're like, all right, now we're going to go to the strip club. So we go <laughs> out to the clubhouse and we yeah. get there. And I'm like, oh, this could be the best f***ing night of our lives. This is going to be amazing, man. So we get there and we walk up and the guy's like, could I see some ID, please? <laughs> And I'm like, oh, 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 no, you don't have your wallet. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I don't. I lost my wallet on this trip. He's like, I can't let you in unless you got ID. I'm like, but we're we're friends with Pantera. He's like, everybody's friends with Pantera. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, and we didn't get in. No oh, way. We didn't fucking get in, oh, man. No, no, I was like, what the. F like, have you ever heard the song "Smells Like Teen Spirit"? <laughs> the guy's like, "I'm you sorry, dude. The, I just can't let you, you in. I, I can't do it. I can't do it, man." I was like, <gasps> went back to the hotel. I was fucking gutted. I was wow. like, Meh. so anyway. So we finished that trip. And <clears throat> a side note: about four years ago, I was at this. This, this is ten years later. This is uh, this is at least ten years later. I was like at this surf shop in Oxnard, California, just north of Los Angeles. And it was me, and I think my daughter, and I was buying something. And the girl at the counter, she says, are you Dave Grohl? I said, yeah. <laughs> and she said, did you lose your wallet in Barstow in 1998? No. And I said, yeah. She goes, that was my parents' gas station. I'm like, you're kidding me. She goes, no, they still have your wallet. And I gave her my address, and she sent me the wallet with everything in it from 1998. <laughs> so how did they feel when they found out that they're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? You know, as a band, all they've done, here's Taylor talking about how they felt. This is the day they found out, hey, we're going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We're just so stoked. I mean, we're just proud of ourselves. and We're proud of each other, and we're proud that we've somehow managed to just, just through it all, just stayed on course we got off course a couple times here and there we've tried a few different things sometimes they didn't work 100 percent, but we gave it our our best shot and you know i just think that it felt good just for me and him just to be able to, to have a fucking laugh and go can you fucking believe this shit you know, but every way, every like a little landmark or hallmark or whatever, however the right fucking words, I don't know what to say. I'm stupid, but you know what I mean. Uh, every time we get to one of those, like, oh my god, we're doing, we're playing at fucking Madison Square Garden. Oh my god, we're doing Wembley Stadium. All these like little things that happen where you just go, I can't fucking believe this is happening, and you just. You know, we just talked about it. We had a chuckle and a laugh and a lot of I love yous. And, you know, we still really all still really love each other, you know, as friends and, and, and as sort of soldiers in our little fucking 
Foo Army, you know, and and we just we just kind of chuckled at it. You'll you can't fucking plan on this shit happening. You just can't, and and chances are it's not gonna happen. Like just unfortunately, the chances of you know my dad was a hundred percent right. Like you know, there's like one in a million chance that this is actually gonna fucking work out. On stage for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. This is what he said when accepting the award. I want to thank my beautiful wife, my beautiful children, my beautiful wife, Allison, Shane Hawkins, Annabelle Hawkins, Everly Hawkins. I love you guys so much. I'd like to share this award with, with a couple bands that I'd like to see get in there someday, too. Um, I'd like to see George Michael in there one day. Love that. I'd like to see Jane's Addiction in there. I'd really like that. I'd like to see Soundgarden in there. I'd really like that. And thanks, everyone. Yeah, by all accounts, they were, they're all great guys. I mean, every time you hear a story about the Foo Fighters, nobody ever has a bad word to say about them. Everybody loves them, all of them. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like, it's kind of nice that you get a group of guys who they really enjoy each other. Um, they're really nice to everybody. People love them. They're good storytellers. It, it just... You know, it's really sad that he died at 50, but if you think about the life that he had, he really did a lot with his 50 years. I mean, there's a lot of drummers out there, but this guy got to tour with Alanis Morissette and meet everybody. Then he got to tour with his best friend, be in the Foo Fighters, be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, win Grammys. I mean, 11 Grammys. Yeah, 11 Grammys. And they were supposed to perform. It was just announced this week they were going to perform at the Grammys in April. My guess is they're not going to. Or maybe they will. I don't know. Yeah, I wonder how that's going to happen. I mean, I wonder if Dave goes on. I don't know if Dave goes on as the Foo Fighters. I'd be surprised if he does. I think he goes on as Dave Grohl. I don't think he goes on as the Foo Fighters. Um, he's probably talking to the Recording Academy now, trying to figure out, well, not right now, but right. he will this, he will before April to figure out. The thing is, they have a contract. I mean, I realize this is the kind of thing that can get you out of a contract. They're mm. not going to force them to play. But I think the fans want to see them and hear from them. I think the fans want to know they're okay. I mean, think about it. The fans want to grieve with them, and the best way to do that is to see them and to see them play and to to enjoy it together. I mean, if I was them, I would be putting together a video right now of Taylor and his best moments, and I would do my own like little in memoriam. And I, if I was Dave Grohl, I would I would get up and I would deconstruct one of my biggest songs, like my hero. Yeah, like my hero. I would do my hero as a ballad. And I would do it by myself, either a cappella or just with like a guitar and have video of Taylor behind me and and video of him and his life and just do a tribute to him. That's what I would do with the Grammys if I was Dave Grohl. I hope that's what they're planning, something like that. Well, I think Dave should put the guitar down. He's got two guitarists in the band already and just go back and play the drums and sing back there. And just not have another drummer. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to bring another drummer into that. I mean, that's 
endurance to play those songs for three hours. And those songs aren't easy songs to play. Yeah, I know. But to get back on tour, I don't know when they're going to get back on tour. They have a whole tour they had to cancel, obviously. But listen, I mean, people thought when Keith Moon died that they were that the Who was over. They're like, how are they going to replace Keith Moon? They can't just get some drummer. Mm-hmm. But they did. They found yeah, they found somebody that was some good enough. Yeah, some drummer. It happens. Like you're able to find somebody who is. But good. Led Zeppelin never went back on his. They did a one-off show here and there. But that wasn't in their prime when their drummer died. Is it the drummer? Yeah, it was. It was in their prime. Yeah, once the drummer for John Bonham of Led Zeppelin died, they stopped it. They said, that's it. We're not Led Zeppelin anymore. I guess it depends on where you are in your career. You know, The Who was the biggest band on the planet when Keith Moon died. Mm. But they, the band went on. The the show went on, you know, which I thought was kind of surprising because when it's just the four of you, and, and the thing is, Dave Grohl and Taylor Hawkins are best friends. So Dave, so forget about the Foo Fighters, forget about the band. Dave Grohl just lost his best friend. Mm. So I think it's going to be, it would be hard for me to get up on a stage and know that he's not behind me. Well, that's all we know so far. We'll have more information as it, as it rolls out. And if we get anything exclusive, obviously, we'll let you guys know immediately. There's no question. When I joined the band, I was super intimidated because, you know, I met Axl Rose the first time, and he said, what's it like being the drummer for the greatest drummer of the 90s? I'm like, oh, 